Today I have a very special guest. His name is Arne Rubenstein, and he's the CEO of Rites of Passage, an organization that has provided workshops, um, rites of passage ceremonies for over 100,000 people worldwide. In Arne's 30 years experience as an emergency room doctor, a mentor, speaker, a workshop facilitator, he's helped countless people make this transition from childhood to adulthood. This marking of a transition, this ceremony to acknowledge the different life stages, seems to me of vital importance and maybe even not only life-saving, but civilization-saving. Arne builds community, as he puts it, and wants to acknowledge the growth of the human being through all the different stages of life, which he describes as a ladder. But anyway, I'll let him, I'll let him speak for himself. He's coming to Denmark for a Rites of Passage leadership training program for men and women from the 12th to the 15th of October. Then again, from the 15th of the 18th of October, a making of men camp for 13 to 18 year old boys and their fathers. So I'm going to meet him at the European Men's Gathering from the 12th to the 15th of September. And I'm very much looking forward to that. And the last thing is at the end of this, I'm going to attach a video which describes some of his recent work with Aboriginal communities. So he's helped to facilitate the first rites of passage for the Buchala people in over 200 years. And um, I don't cry very much, but I watched this very short video and, and I, I, it, it made me burst into tears instantly. It was, it was so very touching. And it seemed that what he's doing and is, is so incredibly important. So without further ado, well, my name's Arna Rubenstein. Uh, I am the CEO of the Rites of Passage Institute. Uh, I actually started out as a doctor uh, in family medicine, and then I did 20 years of emergency medicine. Uh, and one of the things I saw was what I call the over-representation of teenagers, how many boys and girls were ending up in emergency for, you know, basically stupid reasons, which I can mm -hmm. talk about. And, um, uh, as a result of some of my own things in life, I started getting involved in some men's work about 25 years ago. And I was astonished to find that all the men basically had the same problems. And um, we said, wow, you know, imagine if there'd been something for us when we were teenagers, our lives could have been very different. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that workshop, we ran a, a men and boys father and son camp. Uh, this is 1994. And, um, it was just astounding. We had three days out in the bush with 28 men and boys sharing stories and letting the boys ask questions and doing some really fun stuff. And, you know, something extraordinary happened. And then I started um, exploring rites of passage and discovered that all over the world, communities, Indigenous communities would run a rite of passage for their boys and girls, basically when they reached puberty, to acknowledge the fact that they were becoming young men and women. and that all of these communities used the same elements to run these rites of passage. They all did the same things in different ways according to where they were, but the elements were always the same. 
So then we started running some rites of passage once a year and I was still working as a doctor and I just saw that these programs were changing people's lives. And I actually became increasingly frustrated with medicine for lots of reasons mm -hmm. and more and more interested in rites of passage and their potential impact. And as these things do, it just progressively took over my life to the point where we've now helped set up programs in probably about 80 to 100 places in Australia, including multiple schools and more than 20 countries globally. We've had over 150,000 people through our programs. We've got lots of big projects happening, a lot of which has been in the last few years. I think with uh, the, the uh, increasing influence of technology, people are looking for and asking the question around what's real mm -hmm. and also what's happened to my children. Why has my beautiful 12-year-old, 13-year-old son disappeared into his room uh, and, and yeah. become addicted to gaming? And why is my teenage daughter walking around the house with her phone this far from her face the whole time? And, and who are they? Okay. And so a lot of people are coming to our work and um, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's an exciting time. Uh-huh. So you mentioned some... Uh, you know, some of the issues that, that young people have, teenagers, etc. And, and you mentioned technology. Can you expand a little bit on that? What are, what, what are the, the biggest struggles that, that young people have today? And, um, and, and what, what is this, you know, existential crisis that young people have? Me I've heard a bit called a meaning crisis, like, and, and, and why they're, they're so attracted to technology and, um, you know, different kinds of addiction and, and all the various problems that young people have today? Yeah, well, I think that young people have all the problems uh, that they've had for a long time with now the addition of technology. Mm -hmm. So there's the problems that have been there for a long time are around um, transitioning from child to adult, which is a massive change. Uh, and with that comes a question of who am I? What's my identity? What's my purpose in this life? Um, where do I get the wisdom and the, and the skills to navigate what's going on? Uh, how do I have healthy relationships? You know, all of those things, um, you know, sexuality, major, major questions for any teenager. And then on top of that, we now have the additional problem of technology, which is basically a drug. It's a highly addictive, uh, well thought out um, substance. And what we see is that, the, the children, the teenagers who are doing well, they all have a computer and a mobile phone and that's a great addition to their lives and a very useful tool. But the ones who are struggling and have self-esteem issues are just disappearing into their computers and their phones. And the actual thing that's missing um, is something to create this clear demarcation between your time as a child where your main um, thought is about yourself. It's a very egocentric period as it's supposed to be, mm -hmm. you know, being the center of the universe and everybody else looking after you, which is very different from healthy adult psychology, which is understanding that we're part of a community. And, and my work started with boys. And yeah. we actually wrote a model of between boy psychology or boy behavior and healthy adult 
man yeah. behavior. But also, it seems like there's, 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 you know, I think Warren Farrell called it a boy, boy crisis or something like this, this yeah. difficulty of transitioning into being an adult. And, and, and I guess, right, you do rites of passage for that. And so one of my questions was, you know, how, how this rites of passage, uh, how, how, what would this look like and how it would be different than, let's say, a traditional rites of passage? And why, why it, boys? What's why boys and men? And what's why are we we so? Um, why is this so important? Well, first of all, I agree. There's a boy crisis. But I just have to say, there's also a girl crisis, yeah. and there's an elder crisis, yeah. and there's a global. So there's actually quite a few crisis points going on, and I and I actually think they're all interrelated. And, and the thing about boys is, um, you know. That they are supposed to be boys and children when they're children. That's fantastic. And in the main, we do pretty good with our children. But unless we create a transition and something to mark the fact that they're becoming men, the danger is that they remain in boy behaviour and boy thinking. Mm -hmm. And that's a major problem if they then get to become something like a global leader um, or a head of a business you know, or, or anything or even a father. And the Indigenous communities recognised that a shift had to happen. And so they would take the boys away and they would share stories as a way of passing on wisdom and knowledge. They would create challenges. Um, they would work to make a vision for the future for the, for the young. And they would also identify that each child, each boy is different. And they believed each boy had a spirit. And so a critical part of the rite of passage was to recognise the spirit or the unique gifts and talents of each boy. Mm -hmm. And then that boy would then bring those, that, those gifts to the community. This is not happening. So our boys are locked for meaning. They're looking for purpose. And that's a, it, there's a big struggle for them to find that. And this idea around that boy behaviour is where it's all about me and I want power and I can never be wrong and I want a mother... You know, there's a lot of men still running around who just want power, can never be wrong, um, and want a you know, don't take responsibility for their actions and want a mother. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's an argument that many of our world leaders are still functioning on boy psychology. And that's a big problem. Whereas in healthy man psychology, we understand we're part of a community, we support others, um, where we take responsibility, and we're not looking for a mother, we're actually looking for genuine relationship with the feminine. And when we look at all the issues happening with Me Too and, um, you know, that's, that's boy behaviour. Yeah. Patriarchy is not the problem. Patriarchy is not a problem. It's boy behaviour which is a problem. It's men in boys, you know, it's, it's sorry, it's boys in men's bodies. Mm -hmm. And so... So we believe it's still possible to create a healthy rite of passage today. We just need to know what we're doing. So, so they don't become men because they, 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 they remain too attached to, to the mother in, in some sense. And, and they're not able well, to leave, part of leave home or leave this comfort of a domestic world and, and, uh, yeah. and go into the wilderness and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, in an indigenous community at 13, 14, the boy would be taken away from his mother. And yeah. some of them would not be allowed to talk to their mothers for three years. And, and, and interestingly, we see a lot of 
teenage boys who retreat into their bedrooms and basically don't talk to their mothers for three years. Um, but, you know, they would be formally taken away and, and, and it would be recognised as to what was going on. And, you know, they would then be mentored by the men yeah. and, and the mothers would move to a new stage in life and it would, the social structure of the community would remain healthy. Whereas what happens now is the boys stay in the house, they become monsters just eating everything that they can and, and often are quite abusive to their mothers. The mothers are beside themselves and don't know what to do. And also this attachment remains. Um, the average age that a boy in Australia leaves home is 28. Wow. And, you know, that's just extraordinary. Wow. Um, and their mothers are still looking after them, cooking for them, washing for them. And, and you know, it's this very really possible to remain a boy. This explains why they can't have adult relationships, I imagine. I mean, that's they, right. They, they can't go and have a relationship with a, a woman because they're, they're still in relationship with their mother on, on some level, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah they, and then they're looking for a, a substitute mother. And then, and then the war starts between the man's woman and his mother uh -huh. as to who's the most important woman in his life. And it just, it just doesn't go well. Uh-huh, yeah. And it seems that the rites of passage that young people experience today is almost unconscious, like they have to suffer a lot. In order to become a man, it seems like there's the, the rites of passage might exist, but it exists not, it's not a conscious thing. It, it just, it, it's, no. they're suffering. They're creating their own. They're yeah. creating their own. This is yeah. the problem. That's what I saw in emergency. You mm -hmm. know, boys, you know, sometimes killing themselves or coming close on, on car, in cars, on drugs, in fights, you yeah. know, in all these sorts of things. Or you see it in the, in, the, um, in the armed forces where they create their own rites of passage and they haze each other. Or in, yeah. fr in fraternities, universities, or in gangs. Right. So, so rites of passage, they're actually a fundamental part of life. The transition from one stage in life to the next will happen. The question is whether it will be facilitated and happen in a healthy way which involves elders yeah. or whether it's created by the peers. And when it's a, a peer created rite of passage, it becomes about power and abuse. We it becomes see it about time gangs. and time again. It's the gang. Um, yeah. All of that. Right. Mm -hmm. So how does that differ for, for girls? Maybe you could talk about girls for a minute. Cause. Well, girls go through their rites of passage as well, but a healthy girl's rite of passage is facilitated by older women and is about honouring the, the stages that she's going through and the fact that she's becoming, uh, you know, a woman and a fertile woman and about getting her to learn to trust her inner knowing and her inner voice and to trust yeah. and support the other women in her community, all of that. Yeah. And when it doesn't happen, the girls don't trust each other. They're actually in competition. It, it becomes all about body image and, and I, you know, regularly saw girls who were creating their own rites of passage by getting drunk and, you know, losing their virginity in a terrible way or something like that. And then coming into the emergency department where I was working. Mm -hmm. So, you know, teen pregnancy, all of these things become their rite of passage, becomes the moment where they grow up and shift from being a girl to a woman. So instead of it being a, a a community celebration 
it becomes an individual moment of shame. Right. And many women spend the rest of their lives on some level having to deal with that. Could, could we generalize and say that men often, you know, engage in antisocial behavior? Uh, uh, and then uh, women, it's, it's, it's often a social pathology? Like, uh, well, I look at it slightly. I looked at it. Yes, I guess the way I saw it is that men will go out there and do the stupidest thing possible, which I guess is antisocial behavior. <laughs> whereas girls will tend to internalize, <coughs> excuse me, girls will tend to internalize and then get into a very unfortunate or difficult situation. Right. right. It's almost self harm or something like that. Correct. Girls yeah. are much more likely to self-harm, eating disorders, uh, all of those things. Yeah, and I've heard that suicide for young girls is, is like increasing because of social network and Instagram and, and, and all of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It is, definitely. Social media is having a, a, a you know, very negative effect. And the whole thing for me is, you know, we can spend the whole podcast talking about the problems. Yeah. Um, but they're well documented. I think we have a tremendous opportunity in setting up healthy contemporary rites of passage, which is what we've been doing for 25 years now. And we see the life changing impact this has on everybody who attends. So I saw the video you sent me where you were working with Aboriginal people. Um, maybe I'd like yeah. you to, I'm from Canada and, and of course I've been hearing about Aboriginal issues my, my whole life. So I'd love to hear you talk about that and, Sure. Well, like, you know, Canada, North America, many other countries, the indigenous population in Australia has been decimated, has lost a lot of its culture. And in most areas, the rites of passage have been, um, were banned for, you know, nearly 200 years. And more and more, the indigenous communities are recognizing that their culture and, and creating something for their children is critical. And 18 months ago, I was approached by an Aboriginal elder who uh, from the Butchelam mob. And he said to me, we're very worried about our boys because they're running amok and there's no rite of passage. There's nothing to bring them into manhood and, and set up a mentoring system and all of that, which we would like to do but it hasn't happened here for 200 years and we don't know how to do it anymore. Can you help us? Mm, Which wow. was, for me was a, a massive request and, and um, very humbling. And so we agreed to do that. So together using our rite of passage, the rite of passage framework that we'd identified and as much culture as we could find from their community, we ran a, um, uh, a rite of passage last year, which was the first rite of passage for bachelor boys on bachelor land in 200 years. Mm -hmm. And maybe we could put a link up here on the website. Yeah, we'll do that for sure. That. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it was a very beautiful yeah. video and, and you could almost see uh, these, these young boys come to life in, in a sense. Um, oh, it's extraordinary. You know, these boys are living in the city, they're struggling. A lot of them are living with their grandparents because bad things have happened with their parents and they, they arrive on the camp and they're often very resistant and difficult and 
then something happens. You know, when they start hearing the stories of the men, when we, we go walking out in the bush, when we listen to them, when we talk to them about what they want to do with their lives and what they need to let go of if they're going to become good men. And then when we recognize and honor the gifts and talents and the genius and spirit that we see in each of them, mm-hmm. it completely changes their lives. It's, you know, it's the most powerful thing I've ever been involved in. Wow. Yeah. I, 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 it's amazing how encouragement, encouragement for, for young people, it's just a little bit of encouragement. It's just extraordinary what that can do, how, how that can empower a young person. It's like watering a plant. Yeah. It, 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 it's a game changer. I mean, we have so many boys who, and look, and girls. I talk mainly about boys, but yeah. everything I say, I believe, is relevant to girls. So many of our young who um, just don't recognize the, their own gifts and feel like there's, a, there's another way they have to be. You know, they're sold through marketing that they have to look a certain way, act a certain way, wear certain clothes. And if all of those things don't come together perfectly, there's something wrong with them. You know, the majority of our boys and girls are walking around thinking that there is something wrong with them. Oh, yeah. You know, that's extraordinary. The makeup industry, the makeup industry for girls, the cosmetics industry, is not based on highlighting their positive aspects it's yeah. it's based on covering them over up. their negative right and you know, i was actually like, reading oh. that the original meaning of makeup is actually to highlight the beauty of a person right that's what it should be right rather than cover up yeah. the ugly parts of them or or whatever it happens to be and you know men used to wear a lot of jewelry and it was about pride and it was about you know um you know the way we 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 you know wear costumes or whatever uh in terms of you know uh, rather than it was then about uh then about you know image or or uh, yeah having stuff and so when these girls uh you know have an opportunity once again to hear the stories of older women and 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 to share their own stories and then they're told by their mothers or the older women who are there about the things they see in them, the gifts they see they have, the beauty, the, the natural beauty and strength that they have, you, these girls just shine. They, they just, they visibly grow in front of you and, and they become proud. Um, and the, the thing about rites of passage, which is very interesting, it's supposed to be intergenerational. So it's supposed to be the elders with the, the, the young. And, and the big issue from the young is they don't feel like they're seen. But when you mix the young and the elders together, the elders see the young. They just do. Yeah. And, you know, a big issue with elders is loneliness and lack of purpose. And when you put them together with the young, they get that, you know, that loneliness doesn't become an issue and that the purpose is there. So, um, you know, we know that there's an issue with our, teen- our teenagers everywhere that's that's well documented what we talk about less is that there is as great an issue with our elders yeah. and the fact that those two things are completely linked well that's that's so important isn't it i mean and, and on one level the, the elders uh you know you don't really have a culture unless you have elders right that's right 
and uh, they are the holders of the culture, and they pass it on to the young. Yeah, and if they're just if they're just sent out to pasture, then the whole society dies. Like we need. Yeah. We need. We we need. And also, we need a process. We need to be able to go through all the stages of life, right? Um, yeah, that's right. I look I, at it like there's a staircase. There's a staircase and we're all on that staircase. And the idea is to keep moving gracefully and in a healthy way up the staircase. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting is that for a, a boy or a girl to move from being a, you know, a child to a young adult, their mothers and their fathers also, also have to take a step. The yeah. mothers have to let go. The fathers have to stop controlling and telling them what to do. So the mothers and the fathers also need to move towards the next stage of their lives. Oh, that's beautiful. And so, so the more mature yeah. that young people get, the more, the more the, 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 the elders are free to be themselves and, and, and you know, develop their spiritual lives or, or whatever, right? Is that what you're saying? That's right. We're all, we're all supposed to be moving up that staircase. Uh -huh. and, and, you know, unfortunately, the, a lot, there's a lot of pressure for everyone to try and stay down the staircase and pretend they're young. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of shame related to getting older, especially, unfortunately, for women. Mm. And so, you know, there's all this pressure to look young and, and older men who are still competing and holding the young down, as opposed to really giving extra respect to people because of the fact that they're old. Yeah, I mean, you see in traditional cultures like Italy, where the the mother has a lot of power, right? She's she's very important. Yeah, of course. You know, the the postmenopausal women are very important. You know, on some level. Yeah. Yeah. This almost seems like uh, that we need to go back to our origins in some way, our, our tribal our tribal roots, that we can understand a lot. Yeah, I mean, your relationship with the Aboriginal people can tell us that uh, is is about that right on some level like um, well it's so interesting because at the same you know we, we have this emergence of artificial intelligence that is coming there's no doubt it's coming and technology is not going to become more of an influence out in our it's not going to become less of an influence it's going to become more and, and one of the biggest questions that people have is is technology and artificial intelligence going to destroy us is it going to take over? Mm -hmm. And and I look at it, and my partner actually runs a, a, a global artificial intelligence software company, and we talk about this a lot. And and I believe that actually what is going to save us and what's going to make the difference as to whether or not technology destroys humanity is whether or whether we can actually really get in touch with what it means to be human. Mm -hmm. And what it actually means to be human is passing through the stages of life yeah. and recognizing them and creating rites of passage because the core reason for a rite of passage is not only to recognize a person's age and stage in life. Mm -hmm. It's also about recognizing their spirit, their gifts, their genius, you know, who they are as an individual. And, 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 and within the community. The community. And within the, yeah, that's well, right. Was, it's about and the it's community, community, right? So, uh, so yeah. it's about sort of restoring right. community, isn't it? Is, is, is artificial, right. is, 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 are all these new machines going to destroy humanity and, 
even further or, or are, are they going to allow us to self-organize into, you know, more creative yeah. types of creates of yeah. more deeper communities? Yeah. yeah. So, so it becomes about creating a modern and appropriate rite of passage. We can't go back to creating Aboriginal or African or Papua yeah. New Guinean rites of passage. We're not going to do that. And it wouldn't be appropriate, but the concept of, celebrating and recognizing the different stages in life is absolutely as relevant today as it's ever been. Mm. Mm. Wonderful. Yeah. So the rites of passages, I wanted to ask you about what they look like, you know, uh, what do you actually do in your camps? Yeah. Um, and, sure. and also how that differs from uh, traditional rites of passage. Cause I, I think traditional rites of passage were often very brutal, weren't they? I mean, uh, on some level, even though they were, you talked about young guys and how they're, they can be very, uh, you know, they can, they have this violence, maybe potential violence in them and, and they want to push the edges and, and, and that kind of thing. So, so what would, you know, uh, how do, how do we, how do we push people without, without, you know, in, in a loving way, without destroying them or. So in terms of the brutality side of it, the, the traditional rite of passage was created in the way it was because a boy was going to become a warrior or a hunter. And so they had to be able to deal with the possibility of death or pain. So the majority of the rites of passage for boys involved the boys being able to face death and deal with pain. Mm -hmm. The girls who were going to become, you know, often, you know, mothers and, and, and working within the, the, you know, as within the community, a lot of their rites of passage involved uh, endurance and working together as a, as a group. Mm -hmm. um, today, our boys are not going to become hunters and warriors. Mm -hmm. It's more about, we look at it, we say to the boys, what sort of men are you going to become? Are you going to be men who make the world a better place and contribute positively? Or are you going to be men who take from the world? and leave it you know in a poorer state and you know also for women there's a lot more potential now for women to take positions of uh, you know power and authority and all sorts of things and and you know we very much believe that women should very much have an opportunity to access their own inner power and their inner warriors mm -hmm. um yeah. and that um so in terms of the rites of passage today, yes, boys still need a way to understand that they have strength and power physically, but it absolutely does not and should not be brutal yeah. and it should not be violent. And in fact, that's the big thing for the boys to learn, to not be brutal and violent in their power. Yeah. And, and, and to learn in the same way as the girls would have to trust their, their inner voice and their inner knowing and to support each other. And, and, and for the girls um, to, you know, it's interesting to give the girls a real opportunity to, um, you know, to find their own inner power. And, and um, you know, very much now the rites of passage, whereas in the past it was very clear, a boy became a man, a girl became a woman, they were very yeah. different roles. As we know, um, uh, and we see more and more men and, you know, men and women can do all roles now. And yeah. so the rites of passage that we do have to reflect what's happening in the community. 
Sure. Sure. But do you, do you think there's still, um, do you think that this, there's still, I mean, there's still, it's still important. Well, for example, it's still important for us to deal with pain and death. You mentioned pain and death, right? It's still important for us to contemplate that and think about that. Right. Um, but perhaps not use, use, use uh, to, to not create pain and death or not use violence. Um, like, like I, I would say that a masculine person would have to know that he's capable of those those things and, and not use them and that would be real you know manhood so to speak yeah is, is that well in our model true? of the difference yeah completely true in our model of the difference between boy and man behavior a boy uh, can't stand with his emotions so if a, if a six-year-old boy doesn't get what he wants he'll have a temper tantrum mm. he'll try and hit his mother and he'll tell her he hates her and you're the worst mummy in the world and you know all of those things and, and that's okay in a six-year-old boy but for a 30-year-old man or a 40-year-old man it's not appropriate you know we're allowed to be disappointed and we're allowed to be angry mm. what we're not allowed to do is then transfer that onto others physically verbally or emotionally yeah. that's not okay and that's that is something that has to be taught and, you know, worked through in, in a rite of passage. And, and when you talk about the grief and loss, one of the key elements of a rite of passage always was using stories as a way of passing on wisdom and knowledge. Mm. So on our programs, we'll sit around every day, hopefully around a fire, man, boy, man, boy, man, boy, on a girl's program, you know, woman, girl, woman, girl, woman, girl. And so, you know, the, the men will talk about, the first day we'll say, all right, tell us a story about when you were a boy, the age of these boys, and what was your life like? And what was your relationship like with your father? Right. And So, so know, that's, that's this transmission, right? Of. It's a transmission Correct. between father and son, which is, which is so important. Yeah. And I think what, what people often, are lacking is this transmission, and, and that's what you're, you're trying to provide, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And often the most important message that the boy will get won't come from his own father's story. It'll come from hearing the story of another man. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes from his, but when they hear from many men, uh, that's really important. And, and you spoke about grief and loss. One of the circles we'll have is we, ha we get the older men to share stories of their own experiences of grief and loss. And the boys get to hear that every man goes through grief and loss. And, and actually, by the time they get to our programs at 14, 15, a number of the boys have also experienced grief and loss. Mm. So stories are a key part of a rite of passage. So, so when you asked about what we actually do, um, we'll go away somewhere. We'll, we'll, a rite of passage involves creating a separation of the person from their everyday life and their normal community mm -hmm. and ideally into a container. And, and so when we go away, we, at the beginning, we get everyone to hand in their watches and their mobile phones and all technology and reading material. And we go into a container and our container is the forest, the bush. And every day we'll share stories and um, we'll get the boys to do various challenges, which may involve spending time on their own in a solo in the bush thinking about you know what behaviors they know they need to let go of and they know they all know yeah and uh, we get the boys to create a vision for their future about what sort of men they want to be 
And we do this process, the honoring that I described, where each of the, the boys or the young men is individually honored in front of everybody else by their fathers and a number of older men who tell them what they're proud of about them, what they love about them, you know, what gifts and what genius and spirit they see in each of them. Mm -hmm. And we build community. Mm-hmm. And, and that combination of building community, sharing stories, doing challenges, creating a vision and being honoured and recognised absolutely changes these boys' lives and absolutely transforms them into young men, which doesn't mean that they've got it all worked out and everything's all done, but they get to the beginning of their journey as a young man. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Just getting to the beginning is very important, isn't it? Hmm. Correct. And then hopefully they have older men who will mentor them and watch over them. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's, uh, that's so wonderful. Um, well, I, 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 I just thought of another question while you were talking and a more personal question. I have, I have, a, I have a daughter. She, she's 10. Um, and, and you do a camp, a camp between fathers and daughters. And I think you do a camp also between yeah. uh, um, uh, mothers and sons. Um, why is that important? And, and, you know, how can you help fathers and, and, and daughters? And... Well, the father-daughter relationship is so important and so beautiful. Yeah. And we find that many men don't get a lot of, for all sorts of reasons, don't have a lot of time with their daughters one-on-one. And the daughters now, most of them have mobile phones um, at a very young age. And and it's just a weekend where it's an opportunity with no technology for the father and daughter to be out in the forest, Mm -hmm. to sleep together in a tent. The fathers get to share some stories with the daughters about when they were young, when they were that age what they love doing, what they got in trouble for. You know, they, they do some adventures together. We teach the girls how to light a fire, how to put up a tent, how to make some bread on the fire, you know, whatever, you know, stuff which yeah. they just love. And, um, and they love being with their fathers. They love it so much, getting that one-on-one time, no mobile phones, out in the bush with their fathers. They love it. And then at the end, and we do some parenting strategies with the fathers. So we take them aside and we say, listen, you know, the relationship you have with your daughter as she becomes a teenager is critical. And we don't want to see it break down. And we don't want you to see that loss because she needs you. She really needs you. And there are going to be some challenges. And and these are the things that you can be doing now, which will really support that relationship later on. And the fathers are so appreciative of that. Mm. Now, there's even some research that came out in Australia which says that the better a father's daughter, a father and daughter relationship is, the stronger and healthier it is, that it is, the older she's likely to be when she loses her virginity. So the father provides a certain protection for her, is, is, is kind of. Of course, and trust yeah. and uh-huh. all of those things. And, 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 and and if she doesn't have a strong relationship with her father and she has that hunger for that, then she's likely to go looking for that somewhere else. I see. Um, right. So a strong, healthy, supportive relationship has all sorts of impacts in many ways for girls. Mm. 
we want to see all configurations happening. We want to see father, grandfather camps and, yeah, right. you know, all of the intergenerational work, when you get multiple generations together, incredible things happen. Hmm. But we have decided until now to put our focus on the young because we believe that the changes we can make with young people will impact them for the rest of their lives. Right. But having said that, as the Rights of Passage Institute, a big part of our work now is training people so that we can be supporting programs to be set up for people of all ages. Well, I know that I, I'm, a, I'm a teacher and I often teach like 20 year olds. And one of the things I, I find, one of the, I sometimes ask them the question is like, who, who are your heroes? Who, who are your models for life? Who are you? And often they don't have an answer. It's like they're, they're, they're adrift, right? So, so, so yes. your, your work seems so important in linking, you know, like at least young people should have heroes or mentors or, you know, people they respect. Role models. Well, of course, role models, all, all, of, all of that. And, and so they have, they look, they're looking up to somebody. Yeah, that's that intergenerational thing. They absolutely mm -hmm. need someone to look up to because if they're adrift and not only adrift, but don't feel any connection anywhere, then they're just going to think about themselves. And they're right. not going to care about the impact of their actions on others, mm. which is very different from a healthy community. You know, when I grew up, I grew up in a community and every Friday night we used to go to my grandmother's for dinner. It didn't matter what you're doing. If you had exams, if you're working, if you're whatever, Friday night you went to your grandmother's for dinner right. and the whole family was there and everybody yeah. would be saying oh, how you been going what have you been doing what's happening how are you going at school what do you want to do with your life you know there was a we really knew we were part of a community yeah and, and when the young now don't have that that creates a, a completely different way of looking at life mm. yeah fragmented atomized yeah. view of the world yeah and and it's amazing how easy in many ways it is to build community just by getting people in circle or whatever to share their stories. The, 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 the first step in building community is sharing stories. You know, we do work in schools where we get groups of school kids and we'll sit them in, you know, 10 in a circle and they each have two minutes to share their story and things that have happened in their lives. And these kids who may have known each other for 10 years, just sharing for two or three minutes, learn things about each other they had no idea about. And you, you see the community building happening right before your eyes. Right, that's very interesting. So what is it about stories that, that creates community? Why, why are stories so important? Because stories are, they're, they're like a fluid thing and they're our truth. You know, when, I, when someone shares their story, then I have a chance to empathise and relate and connect and um, that person becomes real. And, 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 and good stories are associated with vulnerability. And there's more and more coming out about how vulnerability is really the key connection. And when everybody's being vulnerable and connecting, that's when you start to create community. And the best way to do that is through stories because a story is your, your truth. Story is your truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how you articulate the world around you, right? How you, 
you know, because you have all this, you have this chaotic, chaotic light world, and then, and then a story is a way of articulating that and making sense of it and making meaning out of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I've sat in 10,000 story circles, 10 million story circles in my life, and every time I'm astounded by what comes out of people. And when someone else cries, I find myself crying. Hmm. Because, yeah. you know, it's real, and I feel them. In that moment, I feel them. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I had a similar, ex I don't cry that much, but I had a similar experience when I watched your video with the Aboriginal kids. I just. I broke down because you know, uh, yeah. it was just, it was so wonderful to see. And it was like, ah, oh, this is what people's essential humanity is, is really about, right? This is um, okay. People are sort of lost. And then somebody, somebody comes to them and, 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 and shows them, you know, just a little bit, opens the door just a little bit. And, and then, and then suddenly, suddenly they have meaning again in their life. We had, we had a boy come on our camp last week because we ran a second Aboriginal, we ran the same program for the second time. We had a boy come from a very difficult situation um, at home and, and he was suicidal. He was openly suicidal and, and we talked about future and he said, oh, I don't think I'll get there. I don't think I'll be around for very long. You know, all of that stuff. Mm. And by the end of the camp, 15-year-old boy, on the last day I heard him talking with other boys and he, and he was talking about what he was going to do on his 18th birthday. And, and a party that he was going to have at his grandmother's and a boat that he was going to get to go fishing. And, and you know, in, in a five-day period, we saw a boy move from having no hope for the future to actually planning and being excited about what he was going to do years down the track. You know, now, that boy is still going to need a lot of support and help, and that yeah. boy is not out of trouble yet. But just the fact that in five days, he was able to shift from someone who is in a very dark place to actually being able to genuinely visualize a future for himself. That's a big thing. I wrote a book called the making of men, which is half about parenting mm -hmm. and how we parent in a healthy way. Just doing things like spending time one-on-one -on -one with our children and turning off our mobile phones, things like when they make a mistake or do something wrong that we, don't shame them and we separate the person from the behavior and use it as a learning opportunity. Mm -hmm. Things like practicing, acknowledging their gifts and the things they do well. So that was quite a lot of the first half of the book and also talks about the difference between boy and man behavior. And the second half was all about rites of passage and how we can create them and the elements of a rite of passage and um, some stories from our own rites of passage that we've run. And it's actually become a bestseller here in Australia um, and sells quite a lot around the world. Um, yeah, and uh, if anybody's interested in getting a copy and says that they've heard about it on your podcast, very happy to give them a, send them over a copy for, you know. Oh, I'd love to read I don't it. Know. I'll send you a copy, but if anybody wants one, we're happy to send them over one for, I don't know, $10 Australian or something. What does it mean to be a warrior and, and, and why does this association with war and violence? Maybe we talked about this already a little bit, but... Um... I'd like to speak to that because one of the things we say to the boys, we actually say, what's the difference between a soldier and a warrior? Hmm. And 
they identify quickly that soldiers are told what to do and follow orders, basically. Whereas a true warrior is discerning and a true warrior does not use violence unnecessarily. And, and, and a true warrior, you know, is about protecting their family and their loved ones and all of those sorts of things. And, and this notion that boys are naturally violent, I don't agree with that. Yeah. I think boys are actually naturally loyal. Or toxic masculinity, this terrible idea that has been surfacing in the culture that, that says that, you know, boys are sort of, you know, made to be, are all potential rapists or something like this, which is terrible, like, to think that way, right? Yeah, well, the beautiful thing about our work is we get to see the special and to bring out the loving side of boys. And we focus on that and, and we find that when they are in a healthy environment that supports them, that they are, you know, fabulous. And, and I think a lot of boys are lost. Uh, a lot of boys are heavily influenced from what they see on the internet and, and the marketing that's all around. And um, we could be doing it very differently. And, and by, yeah, even things like we talked about before, bringing in the influence of elders, grandparents, um, uncles, or, you know, that idea, we could really change what's going on. But we as adults have to lead by example as well. Right. You know, you can't just say, oh, the boys are the problem because boys actually learn from the behaviours they see. Mm. You know, that's a big part of it. And, you know, I think we need to be taking and, you know, we're recognising the problems. And once again, the whole Me Too movement has exposed a lot of problems uh, amongst men. And, and we, need to, we need to acknowledge that. And then we really need to be looking at what are we going to do about this so that we don't keep perpetuating something, you know, that's unhealthy and really be working and looking at, you know, what is healthy masculinity? And, and you can't have a healthy masculinity in, in isolation. It has to be healthy masculinity, healthy femininity, and, and the two of them very much, you know, intertwined mm -hmm. and, and even intertwined in each person. Okay. Well, it's, it's been, I think it's been very, very wonderful. I shouldn't say I think it, it has been very, very wonderful sp speaking to you and, and hearing about what you do. And I, I, I think we're going to meet each other in, um, in Denmark. You're coming to Denmark, right? Right. And, and uh, at the end of uh, September. I'm coming to Denmark uh -huh. and we're going to be running rites of passage leadership training for men and women from the 12th to the 15th of October. Mm -hmm. um, which will be teaching people about the framework of a rite of passage and how they can use that in their families and communities and even workplaces. And then straight after that, from the 15th to the 18th of October, we're going to run a making of men camp for 13 to 17 year old boys and their fathers or a male mentor. And that'll be a tremendous opportunity to support a group of boys and celebrate and acknowledge the fact that they are becoming young men. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. Um, so is there anything else that you want to tell uh, our listeners about or that you want to, to put forward? Um, well, I, I hope that people will really 
explore this idea of a rite of passage and, and recognize that it's not just for our children, but that each of us is somewhere on this, you know, on a particular step on the staircase of life. And hopefully we can all be thinking about what's the next step for me and, and where do I want to move to and what behaviors do I want to let go of? And, you know, what, 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 you know, what exciting things are in store for me? You know, so for me personally, I'm becoming an elder. I'm 55 and at some stage I'm going to move into that hmm. phase of my life. So how do I move there well? And what do I need to let go of? Um, and how do I create a rite of passage for that? And this realisation that we're all growing all of the time and, uh, and we're all part of, you know, the same community and hopefully we can all support each other to do that as well as possible. Okay. I think that's a great place to, to end with. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for, for this. Uh, it's been great. That sun come up. When he come in the east there, you be there to meet him. And you say, Galango, You say good morning to our son. This is the Batila country, you know, the last initiation was about 200 years ago. I think this process is essentially one of the most important things a young man could experience. Like people think it's only 12 boys, but if you look at it from Long, a longitudinal side of it, that's 12 generations that you're going to change. The young boys that come through this camp, they're still the same people, but there's a difference to them now. They're, they are powerful, strong, spiritual, respected young men now. To watch them come in and to lean into this process and trust the process and to hear the stories of men from all different walks of life. Well, you, you see men tell things, say things that they've never told anybody before. Boys suddenly are able to talk about um, sexuality in a constructive way, to talk about addictions in a constructive way, to be able to talk about deep emotions and loss and relationships and fun and all of those things that make life what it is. As that whole is the community, they need to understand that they are very, very important and they 
are again, they're valued and loved. Because only then can they progress as responsible, loving young men. You are a very special group of young men. I want you to remember that, that you were the first in 200 years. Time and time again, I have seen that this work is healing and, and this work changes lives, this work saves families. From this um, Rites of Passage camp, they'll have an association with this country that they'll never forget. And you say, you're going to follow my law, now you're on my country. And then that way, that's our country, all together, one people. Same colour when you close your eyes. I've rediscovered that we have more in common than we have indifference. Changing a generation is changing one person at a time. It doesn't matter where they are, they'll be able to come back to this place through multiple ways, through smells, through feelings, through memories, through dreams. It's very special. I've always wanted to come home to Batula country, but I've never had the opportunity to come here. This work on so many levels is so critical and, and for me, I believe, is the, the big thing missing at the moment. And, and we have an incredible opportunity to bring it back. I'm gonna be a better person. Uh, a better person for you and for myself.